Hey, uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I want to just touch on something that uh, Charity mentioned in the video just now, uh, the Bible conference just around the corner, October 7, 8, 9. This is something brand new. We've never tried this before. So it's kind of an experiment, um, but it's a, it's a concentrated weekend. We're just binging the Bible, okay? We're just like, get the Bible in the people. And, uh, and that's what the whole goal is. We've got Professor A.J. Swoboda coming back. He's Bible college professor up at Bushnell. He's, uh, he's a homie. He's right up the freeway. Uh, and uh, and he, he brought it in August. I mean, if you were here, he, amazing message. And he's going to come back. We also have another professor, Nijay Gupta, a seminary professor in Chicago. He's widely regarded as one of the country's experts on the book of Philippians. And he's going to come and teach us through Philippians as much as he can. We've got Pastor Kerry Latticer, a dynamic Bible teacher uh, and a leader and campus pastor at one of the largest churches in the country in Chicago, uh, near Chicago in Illinois, Community Christian Church. She's amazing, guys. She's totally amazing. We've also got Sarah, one of our missionaries. He's coming back from the field to teach us missions and the scriptures. This, what a lineup. I mean, we have, we have the death lineup. Okay, I mean, this is like, you don't know that phrase? Okay, sports phrase. <laughs> I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'll be emceeing uh, with my nicknames, uh, MC White Chocolate. Uh, I, one time, um, Lecrae, the rapper, he, he, put on his, he put on his socials, hey, your, your rap name is, is L-I-L, is Lil and whatever you had for lunch the day before. So I was Lil Manwich from then on out. So the, I'm going to be there. RF's uh, band is going to be incredible weekend. If you can't come to all the sessions, come to as many as you can. Register. I just need you to register. I know you, you, you just love ignoring me. So just do this one thing. RosebergBibleConference.com. Register, please, uh, because uh, we just need to know how many people are going to be there. Um, it's, I think it's $10 or $15. That's not covering the cost. It's just to basically reserve a spot. Even if you can only come one night, uh, go ahead and, and, and register. Uh, help us, help us uh, on our journey, uh, your biblical literacy. We are trying to get everyone in the scriptures to absorb the scriptures and the Bible conference is a marquee moment for Yobel here at RF. Okay, I know, one last thing. It's in the middle of deer season. Fellas, listen up. I've been praying that you'll get your buck on the other weekends. I've legit been praying this, okay? So <laughs> prioritize it. <laughs> I've never actually said that in a church before, being in California for 25 years. This is pretty cool. Okay, let's grab our message notes and our Bibles. We're continuing our study through the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Apostle Paul is turning our attention today now to home life. How do we apply the gospel to our home life relationships, marriage, parenting? How does the gospel in, in impact these primary relationships? And we're going to be in verses 22 through 33 of chapter 5. And we see here a famous passage, practical commands um, on how Christian married couples treat each other in a Christian home, in a Bible-centered home. So there's specific instructions. They're not the same instructions. Each of us have a role, husband and wife. And Paul is going to give us what our jobs are in the marriage. And there's deep beauty in this passage, but also deep frustration as well, as we shall see. If you take out those message notes, we're going to add to our list. Today's passage, the summary is this. Healthy marriages happen when spouses help each other grow in Christ. That's, that's a healthy marriage, according to the Bible. Marriage is many, many things. Marriage is... is um, it's romance, it's friendship, it's romance, it's, it's love, it's family, it's 
sex. Uh, but when husbands and wives help each other grow in Christ, we're, we're now getting to the core of God's purpose for marriage. Uh, it's, it's to help shape Christ into our hearts, into our character, husbands and wives. So let's read and find out more. Verse 22, are you there with me? Here we go. Here's God's word. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that the church might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. And then Paul's going to quote Moses here in verse 31. He's going to take us all the way back to Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. Husbands, hold fast to your wives. And the two shall become one. One flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, this is the, the, the end of this section here. First off, what? Submit? Paul? What are you talking about? Anybody, uh, anybody talk to me? Talk to me. Does this uh, hit you that way? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> probably brought a friend. Uh, hello, friend. So it's no secret that this passage is very, although very popular, it's very evocative, isn't it? So Paul's using these words. And so today, from a 21st century mindset, we criticize this passage. Culturally speaking, people say, hang on a second here, Apostle Paul. This is misogyny. This is patriarchy. This is, uh, what do you say? primitive traditionalism, and though this may have worked in the first century, it is certainly unacceptable for the 21st century. So therefore, so many people will dismiss this passage. They'll dismiss uh, the New Testament or sections of it. They'll cherry pick a bit. And then a lot of times you'll get in the scholarly community, people will just dismiss the Apostle Paul altogether. People don't like him. They're like, this is Paul. He's, uh, he's not a good guy. All right. I get all that. We understand some of those conversations, and certainly we acknowledge that there has been significant abuses of passages like this in Christian history. But what we have to do then is approach this passage with a lens that says, okay, scripture is timeless truth. It's handed to us by the Lord through his Bible writers. So what can we, what can we get out of this? So let me, let me just say this humbly to you. If God is good, and I believe he is, he's good and gracious and loving. And if he created us, and I believe he did, it's not an accident he created men and women, then, then I'm saying there's no way that he would command half of us to live in oppression and abuse. There's no way. It would be against his very nature. His, he is for our flourishing, not just the flourishing of men, but of men and women. And so we have to approach the scriptures with a sense of, okay, Lord, let me be open to this. 
So let's, let's dig in. Let's just go right at, we're going to go, we're going to do the S word and the H word today. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the S word. Your next fill in is the S word is of course the word submit. So Paul's sort of using some 21st century, you know, taboo words here. Look at verse 22 again. Here it is. Wives submit. There's your S word to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, Christy and I, my wife, we've been married since 95. And at our, at our ceremony in uh, North San Diego County, way back all those years ago, our college pastor, Freddie, married us. And Freddie read Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 in our marriage ceremony. And then in our vows, our vows were constructed from scripture. And Christy vowed to live a life of submission to her husband in the vows. And we didn't know this. Later, we found out this really torqued off our family, both sides of our family. I mean, people were steamed up. Her great auntie, Auntie Edna, was like, she was like, she was like, who is this pastor telling his, my niece to submit to this guy, Billy? I mean, you know, she, I won her over later. But also on my side, my side of the family, it was like, it was like people were mad. And, uh, and I think that maybe, maybe you had this in your ceremony if you're married, at least back in the day. Uh, maybe you, you, you have a similar experience. Actually, today in a lot of modern uh, ceremonies, even amongst Christians, this, this is taken out. This is redacted from uh, some of the, the more traditional, in a sense, vows and ceremonies. So here's the thing. It, this is real, all right? This is real. There's a real reaction, and people do, re, do respond to this. But I want to I point something out maybe you're not aware of. Let's go back to the original Greek, and I think this is going to smooth things out just a touch. If you go back to the original Greek, Paul wrote in, in, in Koine Greek back in the first century. And if you go back into our Greek, you're going to find something. You'll find that in verse 22, the word submit is actually not in the original text. It's not found in verse 22. It's actually found in verse 21. So let's go back to, look at your Bibles. Go back up into 21, which we looked at last week briefly. And I'll put it on the screen. Paul is talking to the whole church in this section. And he's saying, we are to submit all of us, submitting to one another. You can put that up. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word submit. It's here in verse 21. And God is calling us as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, in a church family to submit to one another. That is, we are to be deferent and we are to be regardful of one another's needs. We're to consider our brother and sister's needs even above our own. And so the Greek sentence here flows, verse 21, and it goes right into verse 22. And it literally reads something like this. Submit, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. So the verse 22 sort of is a tag on. And yes, it does teach in verse 22 to, for wives to submit to your husbands. But the translation committees are trying to smooth this out a little bit. And this is what they do. And they're really wonderful. These are smart people and they take the Greek and they're experts. But in this case, I think it helps us go back to the OG Greek because on your handout now, verse 21 flows into verse 22. And I, th I think for me, this changes the tone of this a little bit. It reads, I think, a bit more, mm, it helps have the context. It's helpful. So, so sometimes in our Bibles, you'll get English Bibles, you'll get pericope headings. That's a 
seminary word, which means, it just means paragraph heading. And the, and the, and the, and the um, publishers will insert a little paragraph heading and it makes it seem like when you're reading that it's a completely new thought block. It's just like, okay, on to the next point, boom. And in this case, it's like the boom is, well, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. It's like, bam, it's stark. It's like, okay, that kind of hits you. But when you see how it flows and it's smooth and it's the context is one of interdependency, the general context is mutuality So the marriage relationship is in the greater umbrella context of the church. I think that really matters. I think that's important. Christy and I, yes, we have our home life, but we as brothers and sisters, she and I mutually submit to one another because we're in church together. And so the the power balance is better, is it not? We voluntarily subordinate ourselves to one another as an act of worship. This, by the way, quick teaching on church relationships. This is what we do in church. We all don't get our own way, do we? Somebody say amen. amen. And thank God for that, because some of your ideas are dumb. I mean, I mean, just like, <laughs> I, don't, I just slipped out. We can edit that. <laughs> we emulate the heart of Christ in our community of faith. It's in that loving, deferential environment then that we see verse 22. Does that change things maybe a bit for you? You're pretty quiet. Okay, good. It's thoughtful. All right. Let's keep going. Let's talk about what submit means. And to start this, I'm going to talk about what it doesn't mean. And I'm going to give you a long list. So write fast if you can. Submit in the Bible doesn't mean be quiet. It doesn't mean step aside. It doesn't mean wives do what you're told. It doesn't mean don't think for yourself. It doesn't mean stay home. Don't lead. Be a doormat. It doesn't mean blind obedience. Some of us have been taught a more cultural definition than we have been taught a biblical definition. People get mad and they react to what's on the screen versus rejecting the actual meaning of submission and what submission truly looks like in the scriptures. If the Bible says this, Billy, then no way. I I agree with you. I agree with you. But this is not what God means by it. This is how, this is how the culture superimposes, but it's not. And, and quite frankly, Christians for many years, some Christians, streams of the body have lived this way. And so there's good reason why the culture rejects this is because it's been modeled incorrectly by some, some streams in the body of Christ. So let's just stay biblical and not superimpose traditionalism, uh, which is what that is, which is not in the scriptures. Uh, and let's just stay biblical. Um, what does it mean? Here's, here's a definition for you to consider. Submission to Christian wives is a responsibility to defer in the marriage when it comes to matters of spiritual consequences. It's to defer when it comes to spiritual matters in your relationship. This is essentially saying this, let your husband lead you spiritually. Is this the biblical vision of marriage? So, so the question is, why would God 
oh, why would God say this? This is where the theories abound. I'm going to give you one theory that made sense to me. Maybe it'll help you. Oftentimes, women are spiritually more receptive. They're far more open to the scriptures, to the gospel than men. I speak generally. I know there's exceptions, but this is actually church statistics bear this out. We know, for example, that in America, on any given Sunday or weekend in church, there will be 60-40 split on average. 60% women, 40% men in church. In some areas of the country, it's even more imbalanced. It's 65-35. I think P&W is 65-35 or 70-30. In some areas in the South, it evens out a little bit because everybody goes to church there. It's more cultural Christianity in some in some cases. But you see this. Um, um, Mother's Day is typically the third most attended day weekend in church after Easter and Christmas. Why? Mom wants to go to church. So let's all go for her. And so mom drags husband and kids. And we see this place packed out on Mother's Day. Were you all here uh, last Mother's Day? You couldn't find a seat. Pretty cool. Father's Day, on the other hand, is one of the least attended days in church life. It's like Labor Day and Memorial Day and like if Fourth of July lands on a Sunday and it's like, Father's Day, why? Why? Well, Dad, Dad wants to watch the U.S. Open golf tournament and grill ribs and leave him alone, all right? Give him his tie and leave him alone. And, and don't go to church, right? Again, I speak generally. So we see this in the statistics. We also see this, though, in the Bible. We see evidence of, of the ladies getting it first. For example, it was a group of women who Jesus appeared to first right after he resurrected. Why? It's because they were the ones that would believe it. They were the first to see and accept the resurrected Christ. Women were the first preachers of the risen Christ. They were the first preachers of the gospel. They went to the guys. Jesus tells the ladies, go to the guys. None of the guys were at the tomb. None of them. And so they, he says, ladies, would you do me a favor and would you go tell the guys that I'm alive and we're going to go meet in Galilee, so tell them that. So they did. And what happens? The guys were so to, slow to believe, slow to accept. Some of them accused the women of actually uh, seeing things. And so I speak generally here. There's always exceptions, but ladies, you tend to get it way before the guys do. And here we see how the role of the wife is to give her husband space and grace to lead their marriage when it comes to spiritual matters. I know for Christy and I, uh, she was a Christian longer than me. She knew her Bible better than me. She was more spiritually mature than me when we got married. She was ahead of me. And so many guys, you don't have to raise your hand, but just kind of give me, you know, give me one of these. <laughs> you can just... Okay, so, so, so this verse, look at the verse is not about being quiet and, you know, blind obedience. The Bible does not teach blind obedience, even when the word submit comes in other places. For example, Romans 13, one through four is a famous place where the word submit, same Greek word comes in. It's basically Christians submit to the governing authorities. 
Uh, even that, I mean, we have script, other scriptures that when the governing authorities tell us to stop preaching and teaching the apostles, we're peace out. We're going to go obey God. We're not going to obey the government. All right. So there's not blind obedience here. This word submit doesn't mean that. So it doesn't mean these things. I mean, look at Proverbs 31. If you need an example, you've got a wife in Proverbs 31 who runs a successful real estate business here. Okay. So this is about spiritual things. It's about maturity and about growth. And in, in the roles of marriage, basically the wife, even if the wife is ahead, says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let, I'm going to let God organize this. I'm going to let my husband take some space in here and lead. So let's talk about the husband. Let's talk about headship. Head, headship. Here's what it doesn't mean. Similar list. It doesn't mean where the husband makes all the decisions. That's your fill-in. It doesn't mean your preferences husband win. It doesn't mean we, we, you, you always go on vacation where you want to go. It doesn't mean that the house revolves around you or the home. And it doesn't mean that you hold the purse strings now, we, when we were married in the, in the mid-90s, a lot of evangelical Christian teaching on this, when they taught role marriages stuff, and maybe you were around, taught that it was the husband who runs the checkbook. That's what headship means. Um, and, and so what happened is, we know this now, a lot of households are financially worse off <laughs> because it was actually the wife who was more gifted in the financial administration of the two. And so, and so this is not necessary. It may mean this for your house if you're more gifted husband, but if you're not good with money and you're dumb with money, then let your wife run the checkbook. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> A lot of ladies said amen. Did you hear that? So this is what people hear when they hear headship and they reject this list. But here's what it means. I offer this definition biblically to you. Guys, it means it's a responsibility to lead in the marriage when it comes to matters of spiritual consequence. Your leadership is, in this passage, it's focused in spiritual matters. Again, it gives us Jesus as the model for headship. Jesus is concerned about his churches, his body, his church's sanctification, that word sanctify is in the passage. Sanctification is simply the process by which a person undergoes spiritual maturity, looking less and less like themselves and more and more like Christ. And so it is with husbands. And so when, when what this means, guys, husband, Christian husbands, is that you should care about your wife's spiritual growth. You should care about that. I know that you care about providing Yes, do that, but also care about spiritual matters just as much as you care about your own, which means that, guys, we're to create pathways where our wives can grow and connect to Christ. We're not to be passive here or disinterested and certainly not domineering. This is our role. This extends to our kids as well, if you have kids. Guys, let me encourage you to step lovingly, step into the space that your wife creates and lead spiritually, which means be in your Bibles, be in prayer. You be the one to initiate devos, devotions. Here's the thought. Initiate devotions just as much as you initiate the word I whispered. <laughs> one to one ratio. We're going to have a new ministry here called Bibles and Babies, if that happens. 
Can you imagine if that's how marriage has worked? This is our role. Initiate going to church. A lot of times it's the guys, hey, honey, do you want to go to church? No, come on now, step up. Energize your family spiritually. This is headship. We help our wives this way. This is our part of the marriage role. Now, let me sum this up quickly for how Paul ends. If you just jump down to verse 33, Paul's going to say a summary statement here. It's very challenging. Look, I'll put it on the screen. However, let's read it again. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here now we have another word. There's, there, so we have love and respect, the roles here. And there's actually a, a wonderful Christian book called Love and Respect. It's one of the more famous marriage books. Maybe you've read this. It's very good. I'm, I, I can't unpack that like a book can, but let me just let me say a few things here. Your, your feeling is, is simply wives respect your husbands. And so I, I want to talk about how kind of, okay, this seems maybe strange that the Lord would say this word in this passage or in the scriptures. Um, and so I want to, I want to share something, uh, Christian wives, maybe, maybe this will help you understand your husband. Respecting your husband meets a core need that he has. And this is going to seem very strange to most ladies. Generally speaking, men crave and need respect. This is how we're wired. Most of us, again, I realize this. maybe there's some of you who are like, well, I would rather, I, I, that's not a thing for me. Totally get it. Let's, but, but this is more sort of like in a general sense. And guys, we actually get this with each other. Like men, it's, we know, we know to just automatically unspoken. It's just, if you want a relationship with another dude, you just don't disrespect. And we kind of have an idea of what it even means. And so there's, even when you're your best homie, your bros and your, you know, a lot of times we trash talk with each other. That's kind of how we show love. But there is a line there that you don't cross of disrespect. And because if you cross that line, it's like, man, you're going to cut that guy deep and you just don't do that. You guys, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, you see this in sports, like um, there's this thing in the NBA, like in, in pro basketball, men's pro basketball, and you'll see like a big fella, like dunk on another guy and then he'll come down and then his opponent, maybe his opponent fell down. And then a lot of times you'll see him jump down and then walk away. When, when disrespect is flowing, he'll, the guy dunking will jump down and he'll step over the other guy. And that's, you just don't do that. And the ladies are like, what does that even mean? Ah, uh, why? Who cares? Because you just disrespected that dude bad. You just don't do that. Unless you really want to get into a guy's soul. This is how we're wired. So um, it's not just this. We have the science on this. Uh, author Shanti Feldman in her book for women only surveyed hundreds of men and, con- and conducted dozens of interviews. And she concluded that most men would choose to feel respected over feeling loved. Most men need to be perceived as competent, able, 
and worthy of respect more than they need to feel loved. You could say it this way. In general, men feel loved when they are respected. So I have to brag on Christy, my wife here. She's so good at this. Here are some of the things that she does to respect me. This list is long, but just to give you some ideas to think about. She takes a genuine interest in me in my day. Even when she's worked all day and she's tired, she will ask me and be very present in the conversation. That's very respectful. This just builds me up. She also doesn't ever run me down to her friends. Even when we're fighting, it's usually her fault. No, it's not. It's mine. Oh my gosh, I can't even say that. And you know, and we're fighting and, and we're just like not, you know, you're just you're hitting a wall and you're just like, Ugh, oh, my marriage, like what is going on? She still will not run me down to her friends. She builds me up. And then the other thing she does is she tells our kids about the good things that I do that they don't see. And these are so, I just love that lady. I mean, she gives me way more respect than I deserve. And there's many, many ways to live this out. Speaking of love, husbands, this is our role, is to love our wives. Now, notice here in the passage that wives are told several separate things to do, but husbands are told to do only one thing, but it's repeated three times. Why? Why? I wonder, I wonder why. Is it because men are mouth-breathing, thick-headed dopes and we need to hear it over and over? Love your wife. Hey, love your, what? What? Uh-huh. Wait, what? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yes, yes, that is beautiful scripture. Love is an action, not a feeling. We're told to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Christ didn't just have warm, fuzzy feelings for the church. Rather, he sacrificed himself. He gave it all. So love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Her needs first. Jesus puts the needs of his church first. This is our model, fellas. So if you haven't sacrificed, guys, Christian husbands, if you've not sacrificed something for your wife in a while, a dream, A direction, some money. Sometimes, you know, couples will get extra money out of nowhere. And it's like, well, what do we do with this? It's not in the budget. You should have a budget. It's not in the budget. Well, sacrifice that, a job, a fishing trip, something. If you're not sacrificing for your wife, then you're not living according to the scripture. So let me just say a a, a friendly challenge this week. Find something to sacrifice, to give up something for her. Not so you can hold it over her head or make her feel guilty or be sort of like, well, I did this for you and now I better get a better Christmas present. Okay, none of that. All right, I know how you think. All right, I'm one of you. All right, so no, that's not the spirit of Christ. Show her through your actions because loving your wife biblically earns her respect and her deference. Respect is to be earned, not just given. Yes, it's a command. But it's to be earned, and so is deference. When we think Jesusly about this passage, we see now, big picture, here's my summary. Each spouse depends on one another. Both of us model ourselves upon Jesus. 
The marriage relationship then reflects the way that Christ loves his church, relates to his church, the close bond that we have, husbands and wives, both physically and relationally, is an illustration of Christ's union with his church. And this, Paul says, is a mystery. This is a deep mystery, but it is true and good. Final thought, my friends, make it easy for your spouse to accomplish his or her role. Husbands, make it easy for your wife to practice biblical submission. And wives, make it easy for your husband to practice biblical headship. Oh, when this works, it's beautiful. And quite frankly, it's not something that the culture is going to cheer you on about. But I will. The elders will. And more importantly, Jesus will. May I go to prayer on behalf of this room and those online. May I go to prayer for all of us. Please bow your head. So, Lord, we thank you for this challenging passage. And maybe for some of us, it's hearing the biblical definitions, learning what they are is, is helpful. Maybe it's erasing some, some impressions that were maybe negative. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would help us to get to the scripture and live what the scripture says and not add to it and not take away. I thank you, Lord, that, that you meet us with grace and our marriage is no perfect marriage. None of us does this perfectly. So help us, Lord. Help us to grow spiritually. Help the husbands step into the space and lead and help the wives give space and grace and help us look like each other. I'm praying, Lord, for the, the couples where one of the, the spouses isn't serving Jesus and one is, and that's how do you do this? I thank you, Lord, that you step into that space and you become our completer. For those who are single, that the Lord hasn't chosen marriage yet for that individual. I'm praying, Lord, that even um, this idea of Jesus completing us, that would be the on the forefront of every single person's mind here. And Lord, we just need you. Lord, we need you. We know the culture is not going to applaud this because they don't understand, but I'm praying, Lord, that we would nonetheless take our lives and bow our knee to you and depend on you. I thank you that we have an environment of mutual submission. Lord, help us learn what this is. It's a mystery. And so let us walk into the mystery because it's true and good. Pray all these things now in your name. Amen.